It occurred to me that Moses did not get to uh, enter the promised land as a discipline to him, but as a matter of fact, he did. You remember when Moses did get to see the promised land? Remember? Got to see it with Elijah and Jesus at the transfiguration. He did get to see. He did get into the promised land. What a blessing. God, even in his discipline of us, is so gracious. Well, we continue in this Easter season, the days between Easter and, and Pentecost, and we continue also our providentially timed series in 1 Corinthians 15, a series we started 16 months ago, only to find ourselves here at this particular time. God is wonderful and kind in his providence. I invite you to turn your attention with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I hope that you are not only patiently, but also profitably spending this time with me in the first 11 verses. I know that it's our third, uh, and we're going to make it, I promise you, we're going to make it our last visit for now to these 11 verses. But may I encourage you to see how rich and deep is the Word of God from three different perspectives. Now, we've looked at this same passage as yielded the resurrection gospel, uh, the resurrection evidence, And now this morning, this uh, resurrection, grace. And the fact is, we could return to it again and see even more. Here we have the gospel, which Paul says is of first importance, because without the resurrection, without Jesus rising triumphantly from the grave and over death, the gospel is no gospel, no good news at all. There's nothing good about the news of a dead Messiah who remains dead. And lest we should doubt the reality of the resurrection. And frankly, sometimes our hearts are given to doubt, aren't they? That's why the scriptures are written so wonderfully for us. In case we're ever uh, tempted to doubt this, Paul has filled the dock in the courtroom with witnesses. Not one, two, three, five, ten, or a hundred, but hundreds, hundreds of witnesses to the resurrection of Christ that uh, corroborate the historic truth of Jesus' bodily, physical resurrection from the dead. Well, today we see how that resurrection affects us directly by observing how it affected those to whom that grace, that resurrection grace, first came. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for revealing yourself to us in the word For your Holy Spirit's inspiring those who wrote the scripture thousands of years ago for your work of preserving it to this day. And now we pray for that same Holy Spirit to open our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts and their ears of our hearts, which is faith to receive your truth in the innermost parts. Do the great work that you have said in your word that you do with your word. I will not return to you without accomplishing all that you have intended. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, 
And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. During the 40 days between his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven, Jesus appeared to many, many people, hundreds of them as a matter of fact. And as the ministry of his life preceding his death and resurrection, as in that ministry before his death, so in his continued ministry after his resurrection, it is in the encounters with people that we see the way he works in human lives and hearts, how the grace of God works. We've seen that in the past when we've studied in depth his appearances to such as Mary in the garden or to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you remember, when we were back in Luke. Paul chooses three individuals in this long list, three individuals to whom the resurrected Christ appeared to mention Specifically, Cephas, James, and himself. And each of them having his own unique experience leading up to that encounter display for us in, in complementary colors on the flag of, of God's grace flowing before us. The wonders of grace, the, the way grace finds us, the way grace forgives us. The way grace forms us from the day the resurrected Jesus first meets us to the day that we go to meet him. So take a look at them with me this morning and note first of all the way God's grace finds us. Consider James. Now who is James? Who is this James? Well Paul doesn't identify particularly, specifically for us, which James he has in mind. But the scholars agree that the James Paul is speaking of here is James, the biological brother of Jesus. Mary, we know, had uh, other children after Jesus, his, his half-brothers and half-sisters, we might uh, call them, since they were conceived naturally by means of a human husband, not in the supernatural way that Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. What we do know about James before his appearance, before Jesus' appearance to him, what we know for sure anyway is uh, just this. He didn't believe in Jesus. He was not a believer in his brother. He grew up in the same house where Jesus was. He, he knew Jesus personally and and he presumably witnessed not only Jesus' life, but his ministry as well. Yet even 
Within half a year before Jesus' death, we know from Scripture, his, his own brother, Jesus' own brothers, including James, did not believe in him. I want to ask you to, just to think about this, to roll it around in your heart a little bit and consider what, how it must have felt for Jesus to know and to experience the unbelief of his own family, of his own brothers. You know the grief, don't you? You know the grief from experience, the terrible weight on your heart of loved ones who know of the Lord. They know of the Lord, but you've told them about the Lord, and you know that others have told them about the Lord as well, but who do not truly know the Lord. You know how they weigh, what a burden you bear for them and, and for their entrance into the kingdom of God, into salvation, the salvation you know and experience. And know that with all your heart is found only in one place and one name, and that is Jesus. Now you imagine, imagine please, Jesus' burden for his own flesh and blood siblings, or consider the sense of rejection that must have cut Jesus to the heart when they joined the other Galileans in their amazement, their wonder over him, over his miracles that was utterly devoid of faith. So superficial was their welcoming reception of him. Remember this in Galilee for the hometown boy made big for their having seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem and even in their own region in, in Galilee, changing the water into wine, according to the headlines. It only made their unbelief, their rejection of him to sting the more acutely in the tender heart of our Savior who, who desired to see them, of all people, to see them receive eternal life through him by believing and trusting in him. They would not. They apparently didn't even care about his death. Where were his brothers when Jesus was being scourged Beaten, bloody, having thorns pressed into his head, being spit upon and, and manhandled by everyone. Where was even one of Jesus' brothers at that moment to stand up and say, Don't do that to my brother? Where was one, even one friendly fraternal face in the crowd as Jesus staggered his way to the cross, bleeding? all over the place to the place of his death to whom he could look for a modicum of comfort or encouragement along the way. They were nowhere to be seen. Remember as his eyes fell on his, on his mother from the cross, her pain-twisted, tear-soaked face, he saw from the cross, Jesus did, and with tortured Utterances between gasp for breath, he says to Mary, not about James, not about some other brother, some other son of Mary standing there, but about, about John. Mary, woman, behold your son. And to John, behold your mother. Now you tell me, 
If you had been in Jesus' place after rising from the dead, would you be inclined to go to James? Would you be desirous to go to the one who should have stuck close as a brother to you, who should have stood up for you, who should have even just believed in you, at least cared enough to show up at your execution, truly, tell me, would you go to James? Jesus did. He went and he, he found his brother. Now, what must that conversation have been like? I wonder if he said his name like he did to Mary, remember, in the garden, so, so tenderly, James. How did James respond upon hearing the familiar voice of his dead, recently dead brother? Did he wheel around to see him? Did he fall on his face before him? What did Jesus say? James, I know that that you didn't believe in me before my death. You have not believed. You never cared for my message. Maybe I was even an embarrassment to you. Maybe it drove you nuts that I was always the one who obeyed and you got the spankings. (laughs) But here I am now, my brother, I found you. I've come to you. Come, follow me. Here is resurrection grace, my brothers and sisters. The risen Christ comes to seek and to save the lost. He still does. Not the deserving lost, not the the lost who are most likely candidates for salvation or or of such a personal history or personality or a personal predilection to, to believe in him. You know that, don't you? You know that because Jesus has come to you, to you who are Christians today. He has come and he has spoken your name He has called you personally to himself, Jesus has, however and whenever he did that. Many of you he called while you were still in your mother's womb. You've trusted in him. Your your profession is the same as the psalmist. You've trusted in him from your mother's breasts. Children here who have grown in these families never take that blessing For granted, not for one moment. Others of you, he came and found in the arrogance of your unbelief. When you were utterly indifferent to the one about whom you you knew. You knew about Jesus. You'd been told about Jesus. You read about Jesus. Maybe even in your Bible. You were close to Jesus. In some ways, close to the, to, the, to the kingdom for years. Because like James, you knew about him. You knew a lot about Jesus. But you were not in the kingdom. You knew about him, but you did not know him. Not until Jesus came to your soul and spoke your name. 
and called you to himself by his spirit, showed himself to you in grace. You may even remember how the conversation of your conversion went. Whether it was one very short conversation or maybe a long protracted one over months or even years. We don't know exactly how the conversation went with James, do we? I'd love to know. Add that to the list, will you, of the things that we've got to ask when we get to glory. Put that on your list of things. Find James. How did that conversation go anyway? But we do know how it came out, don't we? We do know the result of that conversation. James was with the apostles in the upper room immediately after the ascension of Jesus, 40 days later, in Acts chapter 1. The same James thereafter found himself placed in a prominent position in the church, we also learn from Acts. This same James listened to Paul, the former persecutor, who returned to Jerusalem as a believer The same James filled Peter's place when the apostle fled Jerusalem after his release from prison. The same James became one of the three pillars of the church and received with the elders Paul's report at the conclusion of his third missionary journey. All because the resurrected Christ came to him. By grace, the grace that finds us. The grace that found James, just the way the grace of Christ came and found you. Wesley is so right to rejoice, and we, with him from time, when we sing the words of the amazing love of Jesus, how can it be? Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Now, just as a quick side note, let me ask you, what did James do with that message of Jesus, the risen Christ? Did he, did he keep it to himself? Did he sort of relish it? Did he hide it in his heart? No, not for his own sake. In fact, I I think we find the answer to the question, don't we? When we ask another question, who was in that upper room devoting themselves to prayer immediately after Jesus' ascension into heaven according to Acts 1? The disciples? Yes. The women? Yes. Yes. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Brothers. Plural. James could not keep this message to himself. He had to go. He had to tell the other brothers and sisters of his and Jesus' family. And through his witness, they too met the resurrected Christ. They too encountered, or should I say, were encountered by, graciously encountered by the risen Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, if you have been met by Christ, and you have, that's why we're brothers and sisters, that's the only reason I could call you this, you know what to do with this, don't you? (laughs) You've got to go and tell people. You've got to tell them about the risen Christ. How could we do anything else? But spread this news. Jesus is risen from the dead. He has come to me, and he will come to you. And it's all by grace, 
resurrection grace that finds us. Second, resurrection grace forgives us. Verse 5, he appeared to Cephas. That is, we know he appeared to Peter. Cephas is the Aramaic name Paul uses here for Peter. Did Peter see Jesus? Well, yes, of course he did see Jesus because on Easter Sunday, the disciples in the upper room uh, told the men who came from Emmaus that the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Another name for Peter. I know it gets a little confusing. It can get a little confusing. Peter, Simon, Cephas, all the same man. But stop and ask yourself for a moment, why to Peter? Of all the people, why to Peter? Why did the resurrected Jesus choose to appear to Peter? Was it perhaps because Peter was just so deserving? My, 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 did Peter deserve a special visit from Jesus? Had he proven himself so worthy? Or was it something else? You remember Peter. Peter could be so right. Oh, my, he could be so orthodox, so pulled with the truth. Remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do, who do you say that I am? Who is right there with the answer? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was Peter. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter's on cloud nine. I got the answer. All right, look at everybody. Blessed am I. His head's beginning to swell. And then within six verses, pop. Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. As right as Peter could be about who Christ is, he could be every bit as wrong when he rebuked Jesus for saying that he had to go to Jerusalem and die and rise again on the third day. When Peter got it right, boy, did he get it right. When Peter got it wrong, he got it wrong in spades. And did he ever? Remember how in the wee hours of the morning of Jesus' death, Peter, rock-ribbed Peter, confessor of Christ, leader of the band, the one who said, Lord, I am ready to go to you with you both to prison and even to death. That, that Peter melted like butter on a stovetop in front of a girl. A servant girl studying his face in the flickering firelight of the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus had been taken. The girl says, this man was with him. Woman, I, I don't know him. A little later, a man says something similar. You're one of them. Man, I am not. An hour later, another man identifies him as a follower of Jesus. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster crowed. And Jesus looked. And their eyes met. And Peter melted again. 
and tears and failure, grievous failure. He went out and wept bitterly. He had made a total hash of everything. Now I ask you again, why did Jesus appear specifically to Peter? Because he deserved it the most? No, no. Because he needed it the most. And nobody knew that better than Peter. Can any of us enter into the guilt that Peter felt? The shame, the dismay of the anguish of the one who denied Jesus at just the time when Jesus needed a friend most? At just the time that his faith was most needed? When the testing came, only those of you who have wet your pillow with tears over the thought of your own failure, who have known what it means to live in that dark, dark tunnel, you know what I'm talking about, of the realization of your sin when it really presses in on you, maybe one particular, particularly devastating failure. You who know what it's like to be so distracted by your shame that you can't even think straight, that you can't even crack eggs the right way because all you can think about is how you have failed who've been debilitated by the sense of your guilt, can begin to understand where Peter was living at that moment. Even still three days after Jesus' death, Peter needed what, what you and I so desperately need. What, forgiveness. There is there's nothing, my brothers and sisters, there's, there's no, nothing that you need that I need more than this. It doesn't matter how rich you are in material things. It doesn't matter how successful you are, how poor or how needy. You need nothing more than you need this one thing. The only thing you really need is the forgiveness of your sins and to be reconciled with God. Isn't it true, my brothers and sisters? Have you not failed him? Have you not sinned against him? How many ways have we denied him, even this week, even this day? How long has it been since you failed him? What time is it? Right? Jesus raised from the dead came to Peter for the same reason he has come to you even this morning, even here in this place, in this house of worship, according to his own promise. He has come here 
again because you and I so desperately need this fresh supply of resurrection grace that he so freely gives, especially to those who know their need of him, specifically the forgiveness of our sins. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. Christ, by the resurrection grace, finds us, forgives us, and third forms us, or rather I should say transforms us. It was not during the 40-day period between resurrection and, and, Pente- and the ascension. Well, let's see, yes, 40, 40 days. Did I say 40 between the Easter and Pentecost before? At any rate, uh, you know the numbers. It wasn't during that period, anyway, that, that Jesus came to Paul. But later, that, that doesn't mean that he appeared any less really or truly to Paul than he did to the rest of them. Notice how Paul uses the very same expression here. He appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. And last of all, he appeared to me. Verse 8, as to one untimely born, by which he means much later, years after Jesus' ascension, and therefore to be distinguished in some ways, though not substantially, from the appearances to the other apostles. But he's not worthy to be called, like them, an apostle. Uh, In his own mind, anyway, verse 9. Why not? Because I persecuted the church of God. And you remember the history. Paul, in his life before the Damascus road, was a bloodthirsty, murderous persecutor of the church. He despised these people of the way, as they were called. These these Christians, these followers of Christ. He wanted nothing more than to, to rid the face of the earth of Christians. Paul puts it this way, as he told King Agrippa, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And in fact, it was on his way to one of those cities that Paul was. On his way to Damascus that the risen Jesus appeared to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he fell to the ground. And the transformation began because Paul was never the same again. Who are you? Lord, he was utterly transformed then and the days to come. How? By grace. By grace, by resurrection grace. Where the grace of God goes, men and women, boys and girls are transformed by that grace. And was he ever? Paul went from Christ's worst enemy To his greatest apostle. Think of the miles and miles and miles Paul traveled. Not to kill the gospel as if he could. But to proclaim it. 
to spread it. The churches that Paul planted and the care he continued to exercise toward them. The letters he wrote, the afflictions he endured, the beatings even to the precipice of death, the teaching, the daily teaching and preaching, toiling all the while to support himself as a tent maker. It is truly amazing. It's astounding, really phenomenal what Paul did in what, two decades time? And he's not afraid to say at verse 10 that he worked harder than all the apostles. Maybe harder than all of them put together is what he means. I, I don't know. He's not bragging. He's just stating the facts. And we must serve him too, my brothers and sisters. The, the Christian life, the life to which we've been called, dear flock, this is one rigorous life. This is no easy life. That's not the Christian life. We must serve him and sacrifice in self-denial, finding, following, keeping, struggling. That's the Christian life. Don't let me discourage you with those words, but rather ennoble you. And then this, how, why? By grace. Because of grace. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. The grace of God was with me. Grace Grace, grace, where the grace of God goes, where his grace is at work in a person, there is transformation. There is always transformation. And everywhere in the Bible, it's just this way. Look at anyone who follows after Christ. Grace changes a man or woman, changes him or her profoundly, root and branch. It makes him or her a worshiper of God and changes so much more. They now live in a different way, doing very different things for very different reasons. And if you're a Christian, you know that by experience. Christians to whom the risen Christ comes in the middle of their lives in particular, you know, don't you, and can recall often what a tremendous revolution took place. As Paul says elsewhere, all things became new. Patrick of Ireland, the, the Patrick of St. Patrick's Day that we recently celebrated, reminded ourselves didn't we have that great Christian hero recalled the change in his own case? Believe me, he writes, I didn't go to Ireland willingly that first time. Remember, he had been taken as a teenager from his bed, captured and carried off by slavers to Ireland. I didn't go willingly to Ireland the first time. I almost died there. But it turned out to be good for me in the end because God used the time to shape and mold me into something better. He made me into what I am now. Doesn't that sound like Paul? By grace I am what I am. He made me into what I am now. Someone very different from what I once was. Someone who can care about others and work to help them before I was a slave, I didn't even care about myself. Oh, there's so much more we could say. 
so much more. But for now, my brothers and sisters, this only praise God with me. Praise God that the risen Christ has come to you and to me, to us, with the same grace with which he came to James, with which he came to Paul and to Peter and to Patrick and to every true Christian, finding us, forgiving us, transforming us, and all for his glory. Amen.